Okay, we're excited about getting into that Easter series. It starts next weekend. Um, this Friday, we're going to have a special conversation. Uh, Dr. Margaret Cottle will be leading us in this conversation around medical assistance in dying. You'll remember that we talked about this a number of weeks ago when we addressed the question, why fight for all human life? And in that message, we looked at euthanasia for a bit, and many among us said we need to continue the conversation. It's so important in our day. And so Dr. Margaret Cottle, she's a UBC professor. She's worked in palliative care for most of her adult life and has addressed Parliament a number of times. She'll be with us this Friday, 7 p.m. What we need from you is for you to register so that we know how many people are coming. About 300 have registered so far, so please do that today. Register for the conversation on Friday, 7 p.m. here at Willingdon Church. Uh, it'll be really meaningful and informative, okay? So, today, we're addressing the question, what is the meaning of life? This is the last message in this series, The Elephant in the Room. So, let's begin with the scriptures. Mark, why don't you come and read? I've got to ask you to stand for the reading of the word. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Go to Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then Philippians 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Let's pray. And you can sit if you want. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to stand again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction it brings. And we ask, Jesus, that you teach us by your Holy Spirit this day that we would understand your word and know how to live by it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Tom Brady, I'm sure many of you know who he is. He is arguably the greatest American football quarterback of all time. He has won seven Super Bowls. And uh, some would say that he has experienced the best that life has to offer. After winning three Super Bowl rings, he was being interviewed for 60 minutes. And uh, this is what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, 
maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think it's got to be more than this. And the interviewer, Steve Croft, he quickly asked, so what's the answer? And Tom Brady responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Unsettling, isn't it? There always seems to be something more. (laughs) Something else to succeed at. Some other accomplishment, something we haven't done yet. Someone else to know, something else to acquire. There's this uneasiness lingering within us. So what actually gives life meaning? It's one of the burning questions of our time. Meaning, meaning it it suggests purpose. What are we here to do? Meaning weighs significance. What gives our lives value? Do we matter? Meaning, it it contemplates coherence. How do the events of our lives fit together? Is there any reason behind the events of our lives? I consulted chat GPT. Why not, right? Why not talk to artificial intelligence? So, this is what chat GPT told me. Ultimately, the meaning of life is a deeply personal question that each individual must answer for themselves based on their own unique circumstances and perspectives. Hmm. In other words, we create meaning for ourselves. That's what artificial intelligence is telling me. Is that all? Is that it? So at 18 years of age, I was thinking a lot about the meaning of life. This question actually really weighed on me. I was about to enter university, and I wanted to become a civil engineer. But why study? Why work? If I didn't have an answer to this most fundamental, basic question, why do it? The trouble was I already knew that scholastic achievements and athletic accomplishments did not satisfy. You know, you have that initial moment of exhilaration, you know, I did it, I conquered it, I won it, or whatever. But soon the sensation, it dissipates and you're left feeling empty. The truth is, you cannot find the mean, the answer to that question, what is the meaning of life, within yourself. This is foundational. You can't give your life meaning. King Solomon, he ruled Israel from 970 to 931 BC, and he was renowned for being intelligent and wise and wealthy and powerful. And yet this is what he wrote, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. 
in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he goes on to talk about how he tried to find meaning in his life by seeking wisdom and building huge homes and planting vineyards, beautiful vineyards, and making gardens and parks and owning large herds and flocks and collecting great sums of silver and gold. Must have been a banking crisis. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but anyways, having many wives, cheering himself with new wine, things don't change much, right? He said he had everything a man could, could desire. And then in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 2, he writes, So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I, deny, I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. And then in verse 17, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Success, wealth, fame, accomplishments, family, relationships, according to Solomon, they do not provide ultimate meaning. And the problem is actually much greater than that. Because if you've lived a few years, you know that life is not one accomplishment after another. It's not one success after another. It's not one victory after another. It's not one satisfying experience after another. Much to the contrary, we all go through valleys, sometimes very, very deep valleys. Maybe a failing grade or a career roadblock or a marriage that comes apart, a broken relationship, terminal illness. Things happen. We all go through moments of crisis, all of us. And when we think about it, actually almost all of life is out of our, our control. Birth and life and suffering and death. So what gives our lives meaning when life goes sideways? What gives life meaning when the events of our lives seem to be so random and out of control? According to data analysis, um, in June of 2020, so three months into the pandemic, three months into the lockdown in the States, one in four U.S. teens were contemplating suicide. So what gives life meaning when things appear to be so shaken, when things are coming undone, when you're facing the greatest crisis you've ever faced and you have no answer to the questions of life's purpose, significance, direction, coherence? So at 18, while I was thinking about going off to university, this question about the meaning of life was really weighing on me. And it, I was trying to think about what would give my life significance. You know, was it a university degree, degree and then a career and then maybe marriage and maybe family and then maybe some financial rewards and some vacations? But why go through all the work? <laughs> why go through all the struggle? If at the end of the day, life has no meaning. Let's pause for a minute. 
Maybe if we're looking for meaning, it's because we were actually made for meaning. C.S. Lewis put it this way, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable, probable, probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So could it be that, that we were made for something more? And the reason that we're wrestling or looking for meaning is because meaning actually exists. We were created for it. I think in our feeble attempts to give meaning to our lives, something very true is being communicated. For our lives to have meaning, meaning must be given to our lives. Someone must give meaning to our life experiences, our struggles, uh, the accomplishments, the unforeseen events. Someone must give meaning to our lives. But who can do this? Who can do it? I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics. In the past, scholars would look at these markings, and these markings were found on ancient Egyptian structures, ancient Egyptian artifacts, so they would look at these markings and understand absolutely nothing. <laughs> it was a mystery. Just like the person sitting beside you, a mystery. No one could decipher the markings. Their meaning was lost. And scholars could have looked at those markings and then just given their own meaning to those markings. Here's our best guess. This is what we think it means. But they would not have been able to say with any certainty what the original authors had intended. And then in 1799, a stone was discovered. We know it as Rosetta's Stone. It's found in Alexandria, Egypt. And on this stone, you have three languages. On the top, Egyptian hieroglyphics, and then Demotic, which is an ancient Egyptian language, and at the bottom, ancient Greek. And the scholars understood ancient Greek. And so, over a 20-year period, they were able to decipher the meaning of Egyptian hieroglyphics. The intended meaning by the original authors the objective meaning. Could it be that the same, the same is true of human life? Could it be that our lives are like a lost language, containing a treasure of purpose and significance and coherence, just waiting to be discovered? Is this why we're restless? <laughs> In the latter part of the uh, 20th century, Dr. Hugh Moorhead, he was a philosophy professor at Northeastern Illinois University, and he wrote to 250 of the best-known philosophers and intellectuals and writers and scientists, and he wrote to them asking them this question, so what do you think is the meaning of life? And some wrote back offering their best guesses, and others admitted that they had just made up a purpose for their lives, and Others were honest enough to say that they had absolutely no idea. And a few wrote back and said, well, if and when you discover 
the meaning of life, please let us know. You see, answering that fundamental question, why am I here? What gives meaning to my life? It's impossible to answer that question without a knowledge of the one who gifted us with life. Bertrand Russell, an atheist philosopher, wrote this, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. And he was right. Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Any meaning we give to our lives will just be our best guess. <laughs> like mist. Here for a second and then gone. So to discover the meaning of our lives, we need to somehow access the meaning intended by the author of our lives. Life's meaning must come from life's author. Life's meaning must come from life's author. And who is he? What was his intention? Thankfully, so thankfully, he has not left us in the dark. In just a few weeks, we will celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. A few days after Jesus' death and resurrection, a lame man was healed on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem. And the crowds were just astounded by the miraculous. And Peter said this to them. This is Acts chapter 3, verse 15. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. You killed the author of life. Jesus is the author of life. And this is really good news. He has gifted our lives with eternal significance. Listen to Paul again in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. In his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Know this. Based on the scriptures, God had you in mind before the foundation of the world. Long before you were conceived by your parents, God conceived you in his mind. God decided when you would be born, where you would be born. You are not here by chance, by accident, by fate. You're not a mistake. God made you with purpose, with love. The events of your life are not random. God has had plans for you from before the foundation of the world. Your life has not just significance for your life here on earth, but eternal significance. This is mind-blowing. Your life really matters. You know, our 70 to 80 years, or whatever God gives us here on earth, our 70 to 80 years are just a dress rehearsal for the real production. 
Again, going back to C.S. Lewis, he wrote this at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia. He said, this life is the cover and title page of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. Imagine living this life as preparation for the next. This eternal perspective, it gives coherence to the events of our lives, and not only to the events of this life, but also to the events of the life to come. Do you see how what God has in mind is so much greater than what we contemplate? God has created us with His cosmic, His eternal purposes in mind. That is mind-blowing. We, we so often, at least I do, we so often live in an earthbound way, right? We're thinking about this day or this week, maybe this year or at best, this phase of life. God has in mind eternity. Some of us see life as a carousel. It's just kind of up and down and round and round. Some see it as a deck of cards. You just kind of live with the, the cards that are dealt to you, the deck you've been given. Some see life as a battle. It's just this, you fight every day. It's endless competition. How do you see life? The way you see life will shape the way that you live. If we actually embrace this, that we were created for God's eternal purposes, then we will live very differently. Sometimes we live controlled by guilt for things that we have done. We are so far from thinking about eternity. We're being controlled by guilt for the things we've done. Sometimes we're living under shame because of we, what we have done or what others have done to ourselves. Or we're living with fear because the present is so uncertain and who knows what the future will be. Sometimes we're controlled by what others think about us. Our every act is done thinking about what that person will think of us. Instead of living into the, the magnificent, the eternal purposes of God, we live so far below that in guilt and shame and fear. Jesus has so much more for us. So much more. Hear this, please. Jesus gives us more meaning than we could ever dream possible. Not less, more. <laughs> Sometimes we fail to surrender to Jesus because we are afraid that he has less for us, that our plans for our lives are actually better. And nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is that Jesus has more for us than we could ever dream possible. Much more meaning than I could ever give to my life. Why did Jesus come? He came that we might have life and have it abundantly, he says in John 10.10. 10. Pastor Vin reminded us last week that to, to live is to know Jesus. That's what life is about. 
And when we enter this eternal relationship with him, well, that changes our perspective on everything and every event, every experience is filled with purpose and significance. We may be formed by our past in some ways, but in Jesus, we're not determined by what has happened. We're not limited by what has happened. In Jesus, we're awakened to the reality that we've been chosen by him from before the foundation of the world. And he knows exactly who we are. He knows exactly how we've been formed. And he's formed us with joy for his purposes. He's forgiven us. He doesn't want us to live in guilt. He's given us a new identity. He doesn't want us to live in shame. He's loved us with a love far beyond anything we could ever imagine. He doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to embrace these purposes that he has created us for. We only need to abide in him. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples shortly before his death. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we abide in Jesus, if we rest in that eternal relationship with him, our lives are filled with meaning and they bear fruit. Now, in our search for meaning, sometimes we think that we live the reality of Aesop's fable. This is an ancient Greek fable that I'm going to tell you. You might probably heard it. It's called the fox and the grapes. So there's this fox salivating goes like this, on a hot summer day, Fox is walking through the orchard, and he looks up, and he sees these grapes, delicious grapes, ripening on the vine above him. So he steps back, runs, and jumps, misses, turns around, runs again, faster this time, jumps again, misses. Keeps on trying over and over again, always missing. So he went on a diet. <laughs> That's my 21st century addition to the fable. No. What does he do? So he's tired, he's exhausted, he walks away with his nose in the air and he says, those grapes were sour anyways. It's from that fable that we get our expression, sour grapes. But some people believe that life is this reality of sour grapes, and no matter how hard you might stretch for meaning, you will never find it. You're just going to be disappointed anyways, so why even try? And Jesus would say that the reality that he invites us into is so far from the message of that fable. If we are abiding in Jesus, we're not jumping for grapes. We're in the vine. We're in the vine. We're intimately connected to the one who has life for us each and every day. When Jesus talked about being in him, abiding in him, this is what he said to his disciples. Verse 7 of John 15 <clears throat> These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be that you might live with a glass half empty. That your joy may be full. When we follow Jesus, all of life is full of meaning, including 
the disappointments, and the breakups. Not just when we're winning the Super Bowl ring. No. In the moments of struggle, the illnesses, the layoffs, even the pandemics. Our restlessness is calmed by the living presence of Jesus in our hearts. St. Augustine wrote this in the fourth century and has so much meaning for us today. You arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy because you've made us and drawn us to yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So know this. Jesus is the author of life. Secondly, he's created us for eternal relationship with him. Thirdly, if we're in relationship with him, then our lives, all of life, is filled with meaning. And thirdly, in this life on earth, we are here to bring him glory. That's what we've been designed for. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We were designed by Jesus and designed for Jesus. Ephesians 1.11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So our life purpose is first and foremost not about us. Life is about Jesus and his glory. Now, glory, it, it sounds kind of abstract, right? What do we mean by glory? Well, first of all, glory is the weight of his importance. Glory is the essence of his character, his love, his, his mercy, his faithfulness, his justice. Glory is, is the radiance of his splendor. Glory is the, the demonstration of his power. Glory is the, the atmosphere of his presence. So how do we bring glory to Jesus? Well, when our character reflects his, when we are loving, when we are merciful and just and kind, we glorify Jesus. We glorify Jesus when we point to his importance, not ours. We glorify Jesus when our lives are marked by his presence within us. We glorify Jesus when his, his glory, his radiance, and often we're so unaware of this when it's happening, but his glory, his radiance is, is just manifest through us. We glorify Jesus when his power is made manifest in our weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So if we're in Jesus, we're being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. 
And the more we're conformed, the more we bring him glory. So often we live, as I said, so far below what God has for us. We live for our own glory. God, please make me happy. God, please make my marriage happy. Bring happiness to my family. Lord, bless my education. Lord, please come alongside me and bless this career choice that I've made, these decisions that I've made. Please help me fulfill my goals. And then when we face roadblocks, we say, well, where's God? Why isn't God blessing me? And when it appears that God is not helping, then sometimes we'll even find our way, you know, uh, find ourselves strolling into the local bookstore to the self-help section. I heard a person say this the other day, I have this great book on organization, I just can't find it. (laughs) I have this great book on procrastination, I just can't get around to reading it. Well, if you ever get around to reading the self-help book, it'll probably tell you something like this. Look within yourself, consider your dreams, figure out what your strengths are, set goals, believe you can achieve your goals, get good people around you, manifest your destiny, never give up. (laughs) Ever heard that? And if you follow that counsel, you may even achieve some things. You may actually reach some of those goals. But you will never, ever give meaning to your life. Because you can't. You just can't. Maybe God is not answering our prayers for personal fulfillment and for happiness or whatever it is we're asking for because he wants us to finally wake up that there's more to life, that he has more for us. Maybe he wants us to be discontent and dissatisfied so that we will actually discover his eternal purposes. He doesn't want us to live down there, down here, just living for ourselves. God has so much more for us than we could ever imagine. The purpose of our lives is so much greater than anything that we would ever come up with on ourselves. The events of our lives have so much more meaning than any meaning that we might attribute to them. And you know what? Unless we understand this, life will never make sense. And we certainly won't understand how God is at work in our lives. You see, in Jesus, we discover that something that we have a hard time believing about ourselves. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That word is masterpiece. Do you believe that about yourself? That's what the scriptures say. It's not what I say. It's not just a hopeful word from me or from someone else. That's what God says. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That's another way of saying that God has prepared us for these works from before the foundation of the world, that we should walk in them. 
So God, he gifts us with new life, with spiritual gifts, with talents, with energy, with opportunities, relationships, resources, with all these things so that we might live for his purposes. Everyone, every day, everywhere. We, we, we live for Jesus in his glory by lifting high his name in all that we do. Whether we're eating or drinking or working or playing, singing or studying, whatever it is that we're doing, we lift high his name. We seek to glorify him. We live for Jesus by sharing his good news with others. And as we do that, others come to understand the meaning of their lives and they begin to live for his glory. We live for Jesus in his glory by welcoming people into our relationships. Listen to Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When we love people, God's glorified. When we serve others and encourage them in what God is calling them to, God is glorified. At age 19, when I realized that it was only in Jesus that I would find meaning for my life, only in Him would I be the person that I was created to be, when I realized that, I entrusted my life to Him. And my life verse became Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a short verse. I could easily memorize it. So that's my life verse. No. It's my life verse because for Paul, it summed up the meaning of his life. And if you read through Philippians and read through some of Paul's letters, this is what he meant by that statement. Jesus is the reason for my life to become like him as I journey through life's challenges. That's what gives my life meaning, to follow his calling on my life no matter what, to serve him no matter what, to be aligned with his eternal purposes, to live to meet him face to face. That's what gives my life meaning. That's what this life is about, and dying? Well, that's just gain. Because when I die, it catapults me forward to see Jesus face to face and live into eternity. So he was a man of one passion, Jesus and Jesus alone. One passion. So as I embrace that for myself, all of a sudden, I knew what my purpose was, my significance, the meaning of the events of my life. And the restlessness was gone. As I said earlier, at 18, not understanding the meaning of my life was the greatest existential crisis of my life. And so when young people or young adults or anyone of any age is struggling with the meaning of life. I get it. But if we know Jesus, everything is filled with meaning. Everything. And sometimes we don't understand why a certain thing is happening, but we know that God is working in all things for good so that we might be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Now, discovering for yourself your purpose, your significance, the coherence of the events of your life, it requires only two things. One, that you quit being the author of your life. And for many of us, that's really hard. 
It's nonsensical to try to be the author of our lives. But quite frankly, much of the time, we're trying to be the author. And we are living that reality of, Lord, please bless my education. Please bless my career. Please bless my work. Please bless what I want in life. If we really want to discover what the meaning of life is, the first thing is to quit being the author of our lives. And then secondly, to just surrender completely to Jesus, the true author. And say, okay, Jesus, here I am. Show me your purpose for me, what you had in mind before the foundation of the world. Help me understand the meaning of my life, the value of my life, why my life matters. Help me understand how you have formed me for your purposes. If you had me in mind before the foundation of the world, you know who I am. So Lord, help me. Reveal that to me. And if we're surrendering to Jesus in that way, he will show us. We don't pray to a God who does not know us, who does not see us, who does not speak. Now, if we surrender, say, Lord, here I am. He will fill us with a joy that we have never experienced. He will fill us with a meaning so far beyond what we would imagine. He will reveal things to us that we never thought possible. He'll start using us in ways that we would never dream possible. Why wouldn't we surrender? To not surrender, as I said, is truly nonsensical. Let's pray. Lord, the truth is, we so often try to make life work for ourselves. And we're asking you to come alongside our plans and somehow help us be what we want to be. So, Lord, I ask for that grace over my life today again and over each one here that we would joyfully surrender to you and just say, Lord, Reveal your plans to us. Show us your purpose. Remind us again of why our lives matter and have significance. Thank you for loving us from before the foundation of the world, for choosing us, for calling us. Thank you for the way that you have formed us. Lord, you're sovereign all over all of life. Everything depends on you. And so in this moment, we surrender and just say, Lord, do your work in and through us for your glory. Show us those works that you want us to do, that you've created us for. Lord, may we encourage one another as we seek your calling 
as we seek your face and allow you to fill us with your spirit and empower us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's some questions for your reflection.